0: Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host.
1: Welcome to another episode of How We Solve, where we talk to smart individuals who have solved hard business problems. Today we talked to a good friend of mine, Charles Godet, who's the author of Predictable Profits Playbook, an entrepreneur's guide to dominating any market and staying on top. He's also the CEO of Predictable Profits and a fellow YC member, and he's one of the best business coaches I've had the pleasure of working with, and I'm very happy to have him on the show.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, my friend.
1: So today we're talking about on how to get unstuck, because in these days with corona and all these crazy things are happening i guess a lot of business people are stuck in their business you know the landscape has changed and you have to kind of figure out how to get unstuck and and, and get rolling again but before we do this maybe give the audience a little elevator pitch on what you do over at predictable profits
0: Sure. Well, you know, we specialize in working with seven and eight figure businesses that are looking for scalable marketing and sales strategies. You know, typically they're asking themselves questions like, why is my business not growing fast enough? Or how can I create more predictability in my business cuz some months are feast, other months are famine. Uh, and then the third one is, how do I make my business a little less dependent on me? And so that's what we do. We've worked with Companies from all around the world, taking many companies over the Inc. 5,000 fastest-growing companies list, and um, you know, we look not only for rapid growth but sustainable growth as well. So, in a nutshell, that's my pitch.
1: And in terms of getting unstuck, maybe you can give some examples of customers that you helped getting unstuck, so we can learn your process and then share this with with the audience.
0: Well, I think you know, for context, it's important to understand that you know one of the things that happened with. Uh, Coronavirus pandemic is we had what's known as an inflection point. And when we have an inflection point, everything that we've done prior to the inflection point, we now have to rethink and reconsider post inflection point. And in my lifetime, there's been, I believe, five inflection points Uh, 1987, because that was when there was like this big uh, real estate crisis and whatnot, 1987. And so the world prior to the crash changed. The dot com crash in 2000. 9-11, the housing crisis in 2008, and then what we're dealing with right now. And so what I I almost liken this to a deer in headlights. You know, a deer's walking through the woods, everything's fine, everything's normal, just the way that they've always expected it. And then all of a sudden a car comes around, the headlights are facing them, and they stop because they don't really know what to do. And we're seeing that a lot in business today. For most entrepreneurs, they've never experienced an inflection point and so they're running their business things have radically changed they're realizing that what was working for them in the past isn't working for them anymore and so right now they're stuck they're stopped they're wondering what should i be doing and because they're not sure what should i be doing right now they're either they've scaled back to the point where they've reduced their momentum to not really doing much you know they've laid laid off employees they have reduced their marketing and so forth or they're just doing the same that they have always done, hoping that things are somewhat gonna be different. And you asked me for an example, and I think, you know, given the current environment right now, if you think of the two hardest hit industries, David, what would you say the two hardest hit industries are right now, or perhaps even the hardest hit industry?
1: Travel and hospitality, probably. Yeah,
0: travel and hospitality. And so I like to start with, you know, the example in the in the travel industry, because right now, travel agents can't really get paid unless they put somebody on a plane and they go off on on vacation.
1: Which is not possible right now.
0: Which is not not possible at all. And so we have a client of ours that owns a travel agency. And when all this stuff went on, we had a phone call and he says, all right, Charlie, uh, help me figure this out. I mean, I need to know what the heck is going on here. I mean, we can't physically put people on a plane. So what is going to happen to the business? And so he was strategic enough to know that there had to be a number of possibilities. It's just sometimes when you're so deep into the weeds, so deep into the woods, you need that fresh perspective. And so today, fast forward to today, his largest competitor, who did over $100 million, went out of business in three weeks, because he knew enough about how to change uh, his business, to the best of our knowledge, he's the number one best performing travel agency in the entire world right now. And historically, week after week after week, he's got record sales. So several of his offices are doing better than they have ever, ever done, even during the best times. And that's because he knew how to change, how to find and identify the opportunities that exist, because there's opportunities in every market and every industry.
1: Please walk us through this, how you you figured this out and how you led them to having these epiphanies and what you've implemented, because I think a lot of people can really use this advice right now.
0: It's funny that you asked this this question because, you know, a a lot of people listening right now, they're probably sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for a tactic, a strategy, a technique, and those are important. But none of that matters if you don't have the right mindset. And it's almost a, a foregone conclusion. If I'm talking to somebody on the phone and they tell me, oh. Everything's not working. Oh, my business is going under. Oh, this doesn't work and that doesn't work and that doesn't work. They're just, they can't see the opportunity that exists in front of them. Versus you've got another group of people that say, okay, you know what? Here's a bump in the road. I'm going to see this as an opportunity for us to take advantage of these changes because the most strategic are going to survive. And they recognize that, okay, right now my competitors are scaling back. My competitors are investing less in marketing, my competitors have uh, laid people off. They've pulled back, which now allows me the opportunity to scale and blossom. Now, how do I do that? So it's that mindset of saying, you know what, there is opportunity. And so we start by asking ourselves two very simple questions. In order to to find these opportunities, the first one is, what's working in our business right now? The second one is, what's not working right now? right? Because we once we understand what's working and what, what's not working, right? Because we have to see things from both sides. I attended the, uh, the U.S. Army War College. It's the highest education training that any soldier can ever get uh, in their entire careers. And I was nominated and selected to participate as a civilian to observe what these brilliant military men are going through. And one of the fascinating things that I learned is that they told all of these soldiers, wisdom is not seeing things from one side. Wisdom is actually having the ability to look at both sides. And so when we look at our business, we have to look at what's working and what's not working. What's not working, obviously, you don't want to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So once you identify what's not working, you have to start saying, okay, what do we need to do to improve this result, put different metrics on it and so forth. When you look at what is working, you know, how do we do more of what's working and, you know, what can we see within the data to make better decisions?
1: Talking about mindsets, and I think an important thing with, if something traumatic or something so tough is happening, that you first accept that this is the reality, because if you can't accept then you can't act if you if you're if once you accept you know if you don't accept then you react and if you accept then you can act. You know, it's like um, when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, the the doctor told me, you know, gave me the news and it was like of course very shocking and but i went immediately to okay this really really sucks but what can we do to fix this how do we fix this how do we fix this how do we fix this and then you're you're if you're not in this mindset then you're in the victim mode you and you can't really
0: act act otherwise you know so mindset it, it you know is a, is a big big thing i think a lot of people overlook i've invested over half a million dollars in personal and professional development but the first quarter million of it was dedicated on mindset I went in thinking that, you know, I was looking for tactic and strategies and whatnot. One of the people that I paid and traveled the world with for a while was Tony Robbins. And I remember sitting there up in Whistler, Canada, and Tony and I were talking and he was like, you know, so tell me what's going on. And I'm like, oh, I got this business and I got that going on. And I got that going on and blah, 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 I got that going on. And he's like, do you think that's a big problem? And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a huge problem. And he says, you know, big people have big problems. Little people have little problems, but big people don't run away from their problems. They create problems. And I said, I don't understand. What are you talking about? And he says, so from a professional standpoint, who would you say is your professional role model? I said, well, I'd go with Richard Branson. And he said, if Richard Branson looked at your problems, so did he say that those are big problems or little problems. And I'm like, uh, I mean, little problems. I go, he wouldn't lose a second of sleep over your problems, would he? And I'm like, no, no, he wouldn't. And he said, but yeah, you see these as being massive problems. And he goes, Richard Branson, he's trying to, you know, do things like space travel. He's trying to do things like, you know, and a- he does a lot of these um, humanitarian efforts. And, you know, some of it is and en- ending hunger in different areas and whatnot. And he goes, do you think that's a big problem? I mean, to end hunger in like this massive, you know, area with all government resistance and all that other stuff. Do you think that's a big problem? And I'm like, yeah, no, that's a big problem. Because did he create it or is he running away from it? And I'm like, he's creating it. Because, but you're trying, you're coming to me and you're asking me, how do I eliminate and run away from all my problems? You've got the wrong mindset. Figure out, you know, what can you do to, you know, to learn from these experiences, to grow from these experiences. Ask yourself, you know, running away from problems. What are the bigger problems that I can create for myself? You know, Martini and again, I know we're going a little off track, but I think this is really important. A guy by the name of Dr. John D. Martini, I met with him many years ago, brilliant, brilliant man, one of the most brilliant in personal development. And he says to me, he goes, Charlie, if you wanna take care of yourself financially, have a, just, you think for yourself. Just think about making your life better. And he goes, if you wanna go to the next level financially, you wanna look at taking care of your family. At the next level, you're saying, okay, what can I do to make an impact in my community? What can I do to make an impact in my state, into my country, into my world? And he said, I want you to pay attention because you know you get paid in direct proportion to the value that you bring the market that you're looking to reach. And he said, guys like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, even you know, you see it with Zuckerberg and so forth. He said, hey, Jeff Bezos, same thing. You know, he goes, the value that they're looking to provide now is so far beyond the world. They're thinking universally now. They're looking at Mars. They're looking at all these places way out there because they want to create value at a vast, vast, vast landscape, right? But all of that, again, is mindset.
1: Mindset. Money is a side effect of providing value, right? If you just like, if you focus focus on making money, and then it's always going to be hard, just focus on providing value. Sadhguru so gave a good example when you, Think you want, let's say money equals mangoes and you want mangoes and you think about mangoes all the time. This doesn't help you. You should think about the tree, soil, fertilizer and water, you know, and then money at some point, point will come.
0: In fact, if there's one question that if this resonates with your listeners and there's one question that I would challenge everybody to answer for themselves, it would be what needs to happen in order for you to be the highest price competitor in the industry and still have clients lining up to do business with you. Because in order to answer that question, you have to deliver more value than everybody else out there.
1: That's a really good one. It's gonna end up on my coaching questions um, blog post. <laughs> That's a really, really good one.
0: Hey, but there are companies out there, you know, Nordstrom is a, is a great one. You know, they, they deliver a different service when you walk in the door. And so they don't have to compete on price. You look at Zappos, a Nike is a Nike is a Nike, no matter where you're going to buy the Nike, yet they refuse to compete on price. When you do business with Zappos, you know you're going to spend more money than if you go to the local store down the street. Apple, Apple has, if not the most expensive smartphone in the industry, one of the most expensive smartphones in the industry. And they're they're not having any problems. In fact, the last report I read, they had by far more revenue per square foot in their retail stores than any other store in the world, including stores like Tiffany. But Apple does better, right? And they just know how to deliver value. Everything from the customer experience. I mean, they think about it from the box. I mean, my son wants to record me anytime I go to open the box, because he's like, dad, 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 this is an experience. You know, let me video you, you know, from opening the box to, you know, working with the computer to uh, to, to feeling it, you know, everything. So, man, we went a little bit off track, but you get me talking about this stuff. You won't get me to shut up, you know? (laughs) That's good. It's
1: good. I love it. Really good nuggets of wisdom. Let's go back to the question that you asked before uh, to your customer in the travel industry. So what was the first question was like, what is working right now and what was working?
0: So what we looked at was he has a very large database of email addresses. And so... What wasn't working was the fact that people weren't weren't buying right away because they're like, I can't go anywhere, so I'm not going to buy. But what was working was people were opening the emails and clicking on the links. So we had to stop and ask ourselves, why are people still opening the emails and clicking on the links? And it's because they really do want to go. It's just the governments have made it impossible to travel with all the regulations. So anytime we're in an inflection point, we have four choices. We have to change the message to meet the market, or we have to keep the message the same, but change the market. We have to change the message and the market, or do nothing and expect the same results.
1: Which is madness. Which is the
0: definition of insanity, right? Do the same thing, expect different results. Exactly. And the easiest of that, though, would be, let's change the message to meet the existing market. So if the market we know is still looking and interested, but can't get on the plane, what we've realized is that they're looking because they want something to look forward to. So let's recreate the messaging and the offer to sell them something eight months, a year down the road, so they have something to look forward to. The moment he did that, sales went up. And they want to over and over and over again. And next thing you know, historically, his sales are, are better than they were even in the good times. And I mean, it just, his business just completely exploded. Now, he made so many smart, smart, smart decisions. He had the right mindset. He knew exactly, you know, that there was tons of opportunity. He listened to his consumers. He knew exactly what they wanted. and and gave it to him and he's thriving thriving you know but meanwhile look at all the other travel agents in the world look at all the other agencies in the world right they're feeling like there's nothing that i can do you know i what am i supposed to do people don't want to travel or businesses aren't sending employees events are down there's nothing that i can do
1: putting yourself into the victim role and not being able to act
0: which is a bit of a problem. There's there's always opportunities. I mean, in every industry across the world, you name it, I guarantee I can find somebody right now that is having some of the best months and times ever. I mean, you look in this exact same community that I live in right now, there are restaurants that are going out of business. It's sad. It's like a cemetery of empty for lease signs where it used to be a thriving restaurant. And yet there are some restaurant owners, one in particular, that I know really, really well, who I got on the phone with and he said, our food tickets are the same, if not better, pre-corona. We're thriving. We're doing really, really well. He just changed the offer. He changed the message to meet the market. And he's finding new ways to be able to help people. He's like, okay, well, they don't want to come inside the restaurant. So I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll walk out, I'll walk the food. They just have to pull up front. I'll walk the food right to their car. You know, I'll create special, exciting meals for them and deliver it this way and blah, blah, blah. And so he's, he's just being more creative, being fresh, meeting the consumers where they're at. Everything's ticketless now, so they don't have to pass a credit card through. You know, they have an app that allows them to pay right there. I mean, it's great. Volvo, actually, they're, again, they said to themselves, you know, oh, man, what's going to happen now? Uh, we have a service department. People don't want to get their cars to drive here, number one, because, you know, that's an inconvenience. And especially with COVID, they don't want to wait in the waiting room. They're concerned about people touching everything, right? So Volvo put out an announcement. They go, hey, you know what? We understand. Why don't we come to your house? We'll wrap everything in plastic, but plastic around the steering wheels, plastic around the seats and whatnot. We'll leave you with a rental. We'll wipe the whole thing down without Lysol. So the rental's clean. We'll take it to the shop, do whatever you want on the vehicle, then we'll bring it back to you, remove the plastic, wipe everything down with antibacterial, take the car away. Everything will be done perfectly. I said to my wife, I'm like, I didn't
1: really I want, think I got- I want that. I want I want that pre corona. I want to go to the dealership. <laughs> like, why can't they, they can- <laughs>
0: well, and that's exactly what I what I what I told the uh the dealer. I'm like, first of all, I Really didn't have anything that I wanted to get done on the car, but now that you're making this offer, anything that I that I know is uh, gonna happen, I might as well just do it now while you're while you're offering the service. <laughs> offering the service yeah. I'm like, but I don't want it to change. And he says that you know the customers are loving it so much that they probably will continue it. But see, there's so many like creative ways to get unstuck when you think about what really is it that that people want what are they really willing to pay for in these moments you see anytime we're in an er air time like this especially when you know we're looking at a recessionary type of period and whatnot the first thing that gets cut or anything that's uh, anything that's a nice to have right if it's just nice to have and we're looking to save money we're just going to chop 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 cut all that stuff out and then once all that's done, now you're looking at an order of priority. What's a must-have? So now if you're a business owner, right, one of the other questions that you need to ask yourself is, how can I go from a nice to have to a must-have? How can and, I the
1: service that you provide?
0: Right. And whether it's a product or a service, right? How can I be an indis- how can I offer an indispensable value to my client so that their lives are so much better off working with me or working with my product that they would never even consider saying goodbye. I mean, I, I want to knock on wood here, right? I Not that I'm superstitious, but you know, I, I got to knock on wood here. You know, we haven't lost a single client throughout this whole, you know, coronavirus thing. But we also realized during this ex- this time that, you know, even though our clients are paying us for a certain amount of time that when they're in need at this point, you have to say, you know what? I know that this is technically what our agreement is, but we're going to step up because now we know that what you need from us is even more and just being there for them and letting them know that you truly, truly care. Here's another thing, man, I'm giving you like so much uh, stuff here, right? People don't want to feel like customers, You know, prospects don't want to feel like targets. They want to feel like partners. Meaning when you're personally invested in their success, when you're personally invested in their result, and you're not just giving them platitudes like, oh, yeah, we care about you. When your clients have zero um, doubt, when they know, in fact, one of our clients said, man, I feel like you care about my business more than I do. And it's like, but it, that's because like when you really, really, really care, you go from this place of feeling like you're alone in this time of need to realizing that you have other people that are working just as hard as you are to help you get to that level of success. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I'm selling a widget, even if you're a restaurant owner or a travel company or whatever it is, when you understand what it is that these people want and you become obsessed, fiercely obsessed with figuring out what it is that I can deliver that best experience possible for them so that just doing business with us, even if it's just buying a hamburger from us, will turn out to be the best part of their day. When you're fiercely committed to making sure that buying a hamburger from us will be the best part of that day, you're going to realize people are going to come out of the woodwork everywhere. And they're going to talk about you and they're gonna give you. Here's the funny thing. They'll give you more money than you're even asking for.
1: Back to the Zappos example, when you give like amazing customer success, uh, customer experience, they they even if they're out of stock with a certain shoe, they send competitor links to the customer. It's like hey, you can buy them here and here and there because, and then the customer will always come back. Same with if somebody has, has a hard time, as you mentioned, with your customer, and you go above and beyond, they will never leave you. They will always be loyal to you. Absolutely.
0: So Buckminster Fuller he did a study a while back and he was looking at animals and he was wondering why is it survival of the fittest? Has anybody really ever asked themselves like, why is it survival of the fittest? Like what actually, what goes on in the psychology of the animals that make the fittest survive? And I'm not just talking about, you know, bears or lions that will fight each other and the weakest survive. You know, this even goes among like animals that aren't necessarily going to fight each other, but the strongest continually survive. And the, the reason why that is, and we do this as humans unconsciously, when you do something for me that aids in my survival, meaning that doing business with you helps me survive, doing business with you makes my life better, doing business with you helps me in all these other areas in, in my life, I become personally invested in your success. I need you to survive because your survival makes my life better. So I'm going to tell my friends, when you're in need, I'm going to invest more money in you. I'm going to buy more product with you because if you're in need, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you succeed. You know, that's why you see in times of coronavirus, the companies that were struggling. You see, barber shops that had to be closed. They were struggling. They couldn't open, and they made this opportunity available. That are like, you know, I've got these gift cards available. If anybody wants to buy a gift card, and the community rallies around them, and they're like, we want you to survive because the experience of cutting hair with you is so awesome. It pains me to think that you could dis- that you could disappear. So here's all this money. Boom, 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 and you know, and it helps them survive. It's not because you know, it's not always because they have the best haircut in the world. It could just because they provide the best experience or make you feel, you know, like you're more special than any of the other places they go to. So that's survival of the fittest, right? That's the true definition. It's true. We live in a herd and we help each other. And yes,
1: yeah, it's, 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 it ma- makes total sense. It's actually a really beautiful thing. You know, it's like if you provide value to others that it, it automatically comes back to the r-
0: What's the word I can pronounce in English? Reciprocity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reciprocity would be it. Here's another question for you. You ready? Here's another good one. (laughs) So I got the iPhone 11, right? Do you know what time in the morning I had to wake up? I had to set my alarm to buy this iPhone 11. I believe it went for sale at 12 a.m. on the Pacific time. So I'm on Eastern. So I had to set my alarm for 2.55 a.m in order to make sure that I was available to buy it at 3 a.m. Do you know what kind of, what that, that means that, you know, I had to get up at an ungodly, I had to set an alarm clock, get up at an ungodly hour, stand there for five minutes with one eye closed, right? Getting ready to buy this thing, you know, without reading any sort of long sales page, no hype, no gimmicky, no whatever, just because I wanted to make sure I wanted to get it. Right. So what needs to happen? That was a massive inconvenience. Right. But what needs to happen in your own business to get somebody to get up at 3 a.m. to do business with you? Would your customers, would your clients actually wake up at 3 a.m. to hand you money? What type of relationship do you need to have? How much trust do they need to have in your product and service? What do they need to think about you? What do they need to believe about you? You know, for most people, they can't get their customer or client to go anywhere out of the way. So they spend all this time optimizing as much as possible. They're creating hype and all these, like they're, they're paying all these marketing gurus and whatnot for all these like special tactics and whatnot to help manipulate and persuade and blah, 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 because they have to try so hard
1: to get more people in the door, because they, you know, they have churn because people don't stay. Because ideally, you have positive churn that you bring people in and they become your advocates, you know, and they just like, fuel the machine. Do you know the seven star exercise?
0: I don't, but if it's coming from you, I feel like it's something I better look up.
1: <laughs> it's it's not coming from me. I just I, I think I read it in the book or Sayed. So I, I think Sayed so told me about this. Sayed Baki from uh, WP Beginner and answer, et etc. So the idea is that you ask yourself. You ask your team to write a five-star review of your service. You know, what what people would, would give you for your service. And then you write a 10-star review of your service. You know, something that doesn't exist. You know, like they, they picked us up with an elephant and they had whatever. They flew on fresh coffee beans and roasted them in front of us. Like stupid stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then you cut away the, the, the really stupid stuff. But in this exercise, you probably find things uh, just really over the top and that you can deliver on. And this will then be your seven-star review. And from this, then you can have this you know, mental exercise of figuring out what, how you can improve your service. And while you add it, have people write one-star reviews because they will know what's not right in your business. And that's a great way of tickling this information out of, out of you. And it gives you a great ammunition to, for your next 90-day plan on what you want to implement and fix in a business.
0: Wow. I love that idea, by the way.
1: Yay, <laughs> I got a good question for you too.
0: <laughs> that, that's brilliant. I I, I really, I, I love that idea. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that.
1: One more is um, when it's the, the customer in the desert. I don't know where this is from, but imagine you, you meet somebody who's been stumbling through a desert for God knows how long, you know, it's like half that type of thing, right? And what would you offer him? W- water? Water, yeah. And this is what most people do in their business. They offer them water and then they think they did their job. But this person probably needs some lip balm, a hotel, a shower, calling his family, etc., mm. etc. Et you know, there's like a laundry list of stuff that this person, how you can provide value to this person. You know, most p- businesses just think like, here's water, I did my deed type of thing.
0: That is true. And they go to find the next person who needs water and the next person who needs water. When yes, not? yes. Versus like, it's yeah.
1: like, I think definitely came from, you not sure where I heard it, if it was on the, the coaching session with you or on the call you said you had this real estate business and yeah. you just like figured out how to you can just like provide more and more value to people. And you became like way more profitable than all, all your competitors because you hooked up with cable, you hooked up with new TVs or whatever, whatever it was. Right. And like finding all these opportunities, there's always so much more you can do for your customer. And once you have this lower relationship with them, they just buy whatever, like with Apple, you, don't even, you need to pitch, you know, it's like, Oh he has something good. I'll just like freaking buy it. You know, I kind of like, The concept of thousand real fans if like somebody's a fan of you you release a new album they will not listen in they'll just buy the album but isn't that amazing though i mean are you an apple person computer wise yes but i uh, was an early beta tester of project five from google you know and i had the google glass like very early on so i switched to android a bunch of years ago
0: got it Well, you know like most apple users they have no idea what they really paid for. They didn't read the sales page, right? They just scroll right to the bottom and they hit add to cart. I've never known of, a, of an Apple user who have tried to hassle on price. They just, they accept the price for what it is, even though it's more premium. And Apple's never had any sort of like, they don't run from one promotion to, to another promotion. They've never had this big discount sale to the best of my knowledge, right? On occasion, they might offer, like, you get a $50 gift card with with something, right? They don't compete on price whatsoever. But there's something unique about the relationship. I have a, a friend of mine. He moved a big, beautiful home. He had an Olympic-sized pool, the indoor Olympic-sized pool. I think it was like eight-bedroom home, like massive, gorgeous, the whole deal. So I said to him, I go, oh, you know what? Why did you, you know, this is amazing. I'm just curious. Why'd you choose to move your home right here? And he said, well, because we couldn't be any further. I think it was than 30 minutes from an Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so, oh, they're so obsessed with Apple. He has every Apple product across the board, but this big, massively beautiful home. And when I was like, how'd you choose this location? He's like, well, we want to make sure we weren't any further than like 30 minutes from an Apple store. Wow. That's true, true fans. True fans. And you get people tattooing logos, you know, on their arm. You actually hear people get in an argument. You know about why they should buy Apple and not uh, Android, and but you're true fans. True
1: fans, like with Harley Davidson, they measure their success on the number of Harley Davidson tattoos on their on, on people.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge Harley fan. And if we ask, you know, why are people so attuned to the brand? It's because you know what does the brand say about them, and a lot of what the brand says about them is how the brand interacts. And you know, they I really feel like. Apple cares about my experience using the products and Harley and so forth. But, you know, it kind of goes back to another point, right? We got people tattooing, you know, Harley Davidson on their arms. And yet you can go to another business who just lost a client because they found somebody else who's 10 cents cheaper, right? So what's the difference between the business that lost somebody else because they're 10 cents cheaper?
1: Really caring, really giving an F about about people, you know, the, the, the thing like, uh, Airbnb did not destroy the hotel industry, and um, Netflix did not destroy Blockbuster, and I'll the other example, Uber yeah, Uber did not destroy the taxi industry, but the horrible customer service that they provided, you know, like the bad experiences in cabs, overcharging, pulling fast one on you, Blockbuster, like, you know, overcharging for late, crazy late fees, bad experiences, la la la, these things just made people look for other options, and this is why they had it so easy to, to grow.
0: That's a hundred percent true. I would almost rather walk than take a taxi at this point, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. The last time I
1: took, took, well, not the last time, but uh, I, in you know in the states, I rarely, if avoidable, then I did not take cabs. And one of the last experiences that I had taking a cab was we flew to Vegas and Uber banned Vegas. Uh, Uber was banned in Vegas for for during this period of time, right? So wow. A bunch of years ago and it was a 45 minute hour flight from burbank to vegas and then we waited for 60 minutes in the line to get the cab
0: wow then,
1: then the cab driver drove um you know in vegas they always want to go down the highway because it's like it costs more you know yeah. it's, even though it's like doesn't save time so then they, they he pulled this fastball on us even though i told him not to and when he pulled out he uh, cut some some lady and uh yelled some racial slurs at her and showed her the middle finger. This was like my last cat experience. So, you know, like in Uber, it's just wow. like, okay, bad custom experiences. One star and writing a note and then something happens, you know, versus this, you're just like, and they left the door wide open for Uber to come in and just like destroy them because they just really, really sucked. You know? And so I guess ma- make sure that your business does not really, really suck. And this is probably a good way of getting you unstuck. If you just like think about like how can be can you make it the most amazing experience for your your customer.
0: Yeah. Not just not looking at them as a customer, right? But looking at them as a as a partner in the result that you want to achieve, that you're both equally invested in ensuring that you'll do whatever is possible to help them achieve that result. You know, sometimes that means if I'm gonna sell you a widget and The widget may be the best widget in the world, but I'm learning through my partnership with my customer or my client that they don't know how to use the widget in the way that it was designed. It's not the widget's fault. It's the fact that I haven't educated them and trained them enough on how to use that. So then I'll build a training, I'll build training modules or support or whatever that is to ensure that they get the best result possible out of that widget. Absolutely. It's like kind of going back to customer success gaps. I think we talked about this before.
1: You know, when you have like, you sell something and then, um, what else does your customer need to be really successful with what you give them and in, in task drive where we do lead research. If you just like give somebody the leads and they don't know how to do proper outreach, then they will fail. And they'll come back and say like, Hey, we have to cancel the service. Shit doesn't work. Your leads are not good. Even though leads are good, you know, but if you give them like good in terms of copy on the blog, like good email templates, reviews on which tools they can use, ideas on how to what kind of cadences they can do or introducing them to you guys to coach them on you know how to do outbound properly, then the customer succeeds, right? And we it's just a kind of figuring out ways on making your customers succeed. and I think it's kind of going back to our initial topic, it's a great way to get unstuck. if you just like obsess about how can you make your customer succeed. back to the example with the travel, how can you make a customer succeed? okay, you can't travel now, but we can at least have them be excited about the trip coming up next April and you can put a customer success person on it and plan the trip with him and upsell him a bunch of stuff on, on top of it. Right. Just kind of make it the experience really, really, really great for them. It was awesome. It's, uh, I love the episode. I, I always love sharing with you. Like, we, could just, we could just like keep, keep on recording like for three, four hours and chop this down into multiple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I, I feel the same way.
1: Cool charts. Anything else you want to add or any offers that you currently have that you want to share with the audience?
0: Well, in terms of anything I want to add, I mean, that's a reality. You and I could talk for the next, you know, three or four days, just keep going on and on and on, uh, you know, about all this stuff. I do want to actually give you a plug, though, Task Drive. You want to talk about a company with an extraordinary experience. You know, I've always had that with Task Drive. I've had that with every company that you have. That's why I I have no hesitation or reservation to to endorse you and and support you as much as possible. So, you know, I do want to say that you're not only talking about this, but you live those words as well. So I'm a huge fan uh, and client of yours. So I I do want to give you, you know, big props for that. Thank you very, very much. Really appreciate all your support over the years. No worries, my man. No worries. You know, and for anybody listening, uh, if you have any questions about what it's going to take to grow, scale your business in this economy or any economy for that matter. I just encourage you to reach out over to predictableprofits.com. Again, that's predictableprofits.com. Let's just jump on the phone. Let's see what's possible, you know, what opportunities exist for your business. If we think that it makes sense, then we'll offer an, uh, an invitation for you to join us. If it doesn't make sense, we'll point you to a resource that you can go to to help you solve your result. Take him up
1: on this. Even if you don't work together, just like the conversation that you have with him, well, he'll point you in the right direction. Thank you. Then, yeah, let's do this again soon. Thank you very much, Shots. All
0: right. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's taskdriv dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.